What's shaking, cats and kittens? Rob Lee here for this month's presenting sponsor, Night Owl Gallery. Night Owl Gallery is an intimate, artist-run exhibition space showcasing the original paintings and fine art prints of Beth Ann Wilson. Also, it features curated goods from local artists and craftsmen. You'll be sure to find one-of-a-kind gifts, handcrafted jewelry, home decor items, along with a few vintage treasures. Located in the rear of 248 South Conklin Street in Highlandtown, across from the Sally O's, Night Owl Gallery is a unique space that brings together Wilson's love of the arts, community, and culture. Additionally, Night Owl Gallery hosts an array of arts and crafts workshops throughout the year and participates in community events, many of which are free and open to the public. So in this ever-changing world, safety is their priority. So feel free to join them and hit them up online at www.nightowl.gallery. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guest is a screenwriter whose credits include the horror dark comedy film Low Life and the TV series Dr. Death. I have screenwriter Maxwell Michael Towson. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's going on, Rob? How are you doing? I am doing fine. Uh, I'm doing I, the way I did the intro is if, if, as if I was just drinking a bunch of coffee. <laughs> I, I was about to say the intro, the intro was a lot different from pre-production. So I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is, this is just got real. All right. Oh, I turn it on. You know, okay. it's one of those skills I have. I turn it on, you know, how, you know, it, from, from some of the stuff that you're doing and, and I got questions around that, you know, how when someone's like, ah, I need to turn it on, I need to dig deep and figure out where I'm going to get my, that source from that energy for this scene. That's how I do it for podcasts. Okay, gotcha. Well, I mean, as a writer, I don't quite have to do that. That's more of an <laughs> actor director thing as a writer. I just kind of sit there and cry at the blank screen for three <laughs> or four days and watch a whole bunch of different Gilmore Girl episodes. And then I finally figure out what I want to do. So it's a better feeling that way because you get to do it in private. That's, it's very specific. And it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little sad. It's, a little, uh, it's not as saccharine as I would hope it would be. No, uh, no, never. <laughs> so you know, not to bury the lead too much. Writing is a thing. Obviously, comedy is a thing. Dark humor is a thing. So let's let's talk about um, your work. Describe it for the fine folks who are uninitiated. Uh, well, it depends on what you watch. Like if you uh, come into this watching Low Life, which is on Hulu right now, I believe, um, you would think I was a very messed up individual and that I definitely needed some therapy. Um, but I will say in my own defense that it was me and four other co-writers on Low Life. So you can't really blame me for all of it. Uh, at the same time, like that is a very fun movie. It's a dark comedy. It has very specific, uh, a very specific comedic sensibility. I'll put it that way. Sure. Um, and also some horror in it as well. So uh, if you came into it with that, then like, yes, you might think one thing about me. And then hopefully if you watch Dr. Death next month, you'll think a whole other thing. So we'll just kind of see how people take it and go from there. So, with that, like we have we, we share a uh, a high school kind of experience here. So you're you're a Baltimore native, right? And yes, uh, definitely. you went to the illustrious, at least when I was there. And, you know, that's what, that's what you got to do. Right. When you've left out there certain times, like when I was there, it was good. You went to the illustrious uh, city college, Baltimore City College, to be specific, if you're nasty. Right. <laughs> so um, is it illustrious? Was it illustrious when we were there? Uh, yeah, it, it was okay. one of those, it was one of those kind of, um, prominent schools. I mean, I mean, I, my 3.2 GPA, that's not really <laughs> that high, actually, that's not that high. Uh, so 
what what was that that path like and kind of going through like because you know i think a lot of people kind of you know how you hear about people um you peaked in high school and things like that mm-hmm. so i always look for people especially that i may have had a similar experience with whether it be a high school in the city in baltimore or maybe even a similar college what was that path of maybe going through like like college that experience and going into the screenwriting profession uh, well it started in high school like i was always writing scripts um, so that became a thing early on where it was just writing scripts of things that were happening uh, in my neighborhood, at City, uh, whatever the case may be. It was always a screenwriting process. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't get serious about it until I got into uh, College Park, University of Maryland. Uh, it was a guy there that actually told me about Final Draft, which is a screenwriting program. And he also hooked me up with a copy of Save the Cat. So that was the first dude to be like, hey, like there's actually a <laughs> format to this. So yeah. you can't just be writing, you know, uh, name, colon, dialogue. He's like, no, nah, that's not quite. <laughs> and you might want to get up off word perfect. So he I mean, he didn't judge it. He was like, hey, if this is what you want to do, you have to actually do this thing. Uh, but he sent me down that path for it. And uh, one of my homeboys was also into film heavy as well. Like he ended up on the NYU. Uh what was that? What year was that? I want to say 2008. He started at NYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So during that time in college is when I really got into screenwriting, which is funny because if I told people I was a screenwriter, they never believed me. <laughs> um, they just thought I was uh, bullshitting until finally I would show them a script. And then it was like, oh, like, oh, this is oh, this is 100 pages. OK, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> you actually put some time into this one. So. Yeah, that's where it kind of started to get serious was in college. And then from there, I applied to AFI Conservatory out in L.A. for grad school. I got in and then I got to see that there were immensely better writers than I and I needed to up my game immediately. So that was another experience to kind of help things go along. And from there, me and some fellows at AFI started our own small production company. Mm -hmm. So at that time, that was in 2011. It was the first YouTube millionaires. So, of course, we were like, oh, we got to put stuff on YouTube and we got to get this YouTube money and AdSense. And we thought we knew what we were talking (laughs) about, but we didn't. And so we started doing sketch comedy. And luckily, we got a couple of um, sketches on Funny or Die, which was Will Ferrell's platform at that time. And then we also did All Depth Digital, which was Russell Simmons' platform at that time. So we kind of had a lot of stuff on different platforms and were successful doing it. That's that's great. And yeah, I, I laugh and I, I chuckle about it because uh, I, I got the uh, final <laughs> final draft. Pro. I got that because um, I heard um, uh, Ryan Coogler talking about it and uh, <laughs> I had a buddy. Um, so uh, before I got into the role that I'm in now, I, I do. I'm a data analyst now outside of doing this podcast stuff. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been podcasting for about 12 years and one of the things that I got into was working with a guy who was, you know, maybe 10, 12 years older than me. And um, he he would kind of remark on like, you have a lot of ideas. He's like, we got to find a way to kind of wrangle your ideas into something. He was like, you just <laughs> like, just go off the cuff with a, a, a thing. And he used to go to like the, uh, the free bookstore and, and things like that. And he gave me save the cat. <laughs> so it's, and, and the, it's this other book called like the screenwriters, um, Bible or something. And it's like, in oh, my, that was not as good. Right. And it's in like my, um, my travel bag. I've not opened it. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where 
I, I kind of keyed in on format being very important. And, you know, one of those things where it's like, you can have all the greatest ideas, but if it's not in any format, it's no one's looking at it. That That is true. But I will also say there is a certain language to Hollywood that if you can unlock, like even without the written format of it yeah. and you can just pitch, like it's a pitch language to things. Yeah. You can be as successful as you want to be without ever writing anything. It's a very mm. strange. Yeah. It's a very strange inside baseball type Hollywood thing where yeah. if you could just learn how to pitch stuff for some reason, you can just sell things off of a pitch. It's very, it's something I haven't learned or mastered. So I'm not quite sure I still have to write things down, but it's very interesting to kind of see it in action because I've seen it a few times and it's, yeah. it's interesting to see that, oh, there's also a language to pitching that's not necessarily a written, a written format. So I don't know. Hollywood is just a weird place overall. Get me in the room. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now because. Yes, uh, yes, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, do I have to just like box someone out? Like I, I'm like, you can't see it, right? Like I'm six, four. And it's like, I, I need to do the cute yet intimidating kind of thing. It's like, I can turn on a, <laughs> on a dime to get me in the room. It's like, you ever hear the story, right? But about this guy, right? It's like, Oh God, no one wants to hear the story. Well, see, the problem is the thing now is that like you said, you're six, four, right? Yeah. So when you walk into the room, what they would want to see you, what they would want to hear from you is a story about a tall guy that does something that's also genre. Like immediately they want your specific experience and you can write nothing else but that experience. So if you came in and said like, hey, I want to write about a white woman that wants to start her own grocery store, they're like, wait, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find a white woman to pair you with. We need this, we need that. So because, yeah, it's it's a very strange moment of that since... I mean, for some reason, they're using the word BIPOC a lot now. I don't know where oh, that word right. came from. But like, because I guess straight white men started being told that they couldn't do certain yeah. things. Like now no one can do those things unless you're of that very specific mm -hmm. culture or experience. It's a very weird thing now. So getting into the room is great, but also now you have to write specifically only about you. <laughs> and it's like I have other ideas. So what? What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm gonna make that happen then, because I I, I pitched like I'm working on this web series um, here about um, Baltimore creatives, and I okay. talked I talked with the um, the production team, and I spoke with the director, and he was like, "So what do you want to do?" And I was like, "I want to do an action movie set in Old Town Mall." And I'm the star. And he was just like, <laughs> he's like, tell me more. I was like, I grew up across the street from Old Town Mall. So right there, <laughs> I was like, I'm beating up drug dealers. He was like, is this like Ghost Dog? And I was like, it might be. <laughs> so that is a hell of a reference from him. I give him. <laughs> yeah, yes, especially because he's like 26. I was like, hold on. What, what run that back again? He definitely has older siblings or cousins, uncles. Like it's something. I think he just wants to see me wear either the unit or cornrow wig and hold a katana and a track jacket and be Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> uh, so describe your, describe your process, like that that structure. How do you like? What do you start with? Um, your structures. Do you start with scenes? What is that process like? What is your process like? Uh, typically, it's with characters. Like I'm a big people watcher. 
Um, so sometimes I'll just watch people and kind of make up a story of their life, even if they're just jogging through the park. I'm like, oh, they're getting away from their husband right now or whatever the thing is. It's, you know, I'll make up a story for them. So usually starting with a character and then what's going on with that character and then building a world from that. Okay. Um, there have been times where I just have a scene in my mind and I'm like, fuck, now I have to find a way to build out the scene with the character in it and go from there. That's usually a bit harder because it's not as organic to whatever you're doing. You're kind of working from a scene. It could be anywhere in a movie or a TV show. So it's, you're kind of working backwards and making things harder for yourself. But mm -hmm. for me, character kind of starts everything. So if I can have a good protagonist or antagonist, then I know that it's going to be a pretty good script overall, as long as I can kind of get things to where I want them to be and execute properly. So, yeah. Exactly. I, I would guess that's where like the audience is, is on your side. And again, I'm a layman. So I watch a lot of stuff. I do a movie review podcast and all of that stuff, but still a layman. I'm, I'm, I'm a fanboy. So forgive, forgive my uh, lack of couth when it comes to some of these things. But when, so I know when I'm watching something, I'm not really looking at the, the set pieces as much or like, the the how some certain scenes are done it's like oh i can acknowledge a good scene but i i kind of really resonated with you saying that oh it's the character you, you start off with the character like if the character's kind of flat the scene can be great but if the character's not good i don't really care about it right i think the i think mostly characters keep you coming back um mm -hmm. even in things that are kind of um like campy and out of there like you still come back to remembering those characters i'll use um the Fast and the Furious series is an example. Like we're sure. on nine movies of this. I think 11 mm -hmm. total or something like that. And yes, unfortunately. Like, yes, you remember the ridiculous scenes. You remember all the stuff that happens. But at the same time, when The Rock showed up in the fifth one, you were like, oh, this yes. is it now. <laughs> I am going to go see this. And, you know, when uh, uh, Paul Walker passed, unfortunately, yeah. Then like, yeah, I'm going to go check that out. I know the Brian character. I've grown up with him now because I've been watching these movies since, what was that, 98, 99, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you go in because you know these characters, you know how they're going to interact. Like now they made it kind of like a real life fake Avengers with worse actors. And, Stop uh, it. <laughs> and so like you, you're like, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm going to go see. So even though those movies aren't necessarily what you would consider character driven, that's mm -hmm. what you're there for. Like, yes, you want to see these crazy scenes. You want to see high flying and all this stuff. But at the same time, you go see those movies just so Vin Diesel can say this is about family. And you're like, yes, Stop. that's why I'm here, because this is about family. Um, but, but that's yeah. the thing, too, where uh, you, you touched on Vin Diesel, him not being in what, like three of them, him coming back for either with that, the, with the fourth movie or what have fourth you. One, right, the, yeah. Yeah. It's like. Like those previous ones, it's like let's gonna let's introduce because um, I let's introduce Tyrese in the second one, Too Fast, mm -hmm. Too Furious, and Luda. By the, by, yes, <laughs> by the way, that was that was my first date. That was the date movie for me. My first ever date was during that movie, wow. and then Tokyo Drift. We, that's, it's like that's the one with Bow Wow and Lucas Black. Yeah. You know, that's mm -hmm. the, and, and and Han because he pops up later, even though he died oh, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yes. Right. So. We, we get that, but you start looking at a franchise with, as you, you touched on nine to 11 movies, what have you, canonically speaking. And then it's like, 
who's in this one and what's considered canon based on these are the Vin Diesel ones or these are the ones sand Vin Diesel will have you or these are the Paul Walker ones or this is the one where they're using the spaceship. I think is in the, the current one. Right. <laughs> well, I think they're all technically canon. Like everything is canon for yeah. all of Fast and the Furious. So it all worked out pretty good. But either way, you're there to see these characters, regardless of what goes on. Like it's not as if I would say for the second and third one, maybe you were less likely to go in and say like, hey, I want to see the uh, Paul Walker character from the first one continue this. It was like, no, I enjoy yeah. Fast and the Furious. Paul Walker came back. Okay, cool. Tyrese was bubbling then. Uh, Luda was Luda then. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go see this movie, see what's going on. Um, And it was bad, but you enjoyed it for what it was. Tokyo Drift had probably some of the best driving scenes uh, of them to that point. And then, yeah, once Vin came back in the fourth one, what were you there for? Oh, his girlfriend died. You were you were ready for them to meet up again. And for like you were you were excited to see these characters again. So that's where you always want to start start with things. And then after that, you can put as much wild shit as you want in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, different locations. It, it turns into almost a, a spy movie and, and so on and still kind of keeping it, you know, for, for a franchise that doesn't, as you touched on, it doesn't appear, appear to be as character focused and centric or what have you, but really it, it is. Right. Um, some filmmakers are, are rigid, right? And others are more relaxed in terms of shooting and, 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 and really sticking to what's on the page. Uh, how much will a, from from your vantage point? How much will a um, a screenplay change during filming? Um, a lot, especially in television, because you have to go through it's so many more levels of. I want to say so many like levels of clearance you have for television. So. Uh, I'll say the makeup like generally is you have a writer's room where you're in there. You're there pretty much to assist the showrunner. So that's the Mm -hmm. executive producer, the writing executive producer, and it's their show. So everything runs through them. They can rewrite you. They can tell you this isn't working for them, whatever it is. Um, And if you have a good showrunner, they're open for debate. So even if they disagree with you, they'll bring the debate to the writer's room. You guys can talk about it. You guys can go over everything. Um, And then you can just come up with the best idea from there. But, uh, think of like you come up with an idea you get an episode the showrunner allows you to get an episode you write your episode they give you notes the writer's room actually gives you notes as well um then after those notes you go and get notes from the studio you get notes from the network you get notes from uh producers um and from there like if everything passes that test maybe they don't have an actor on board yet. So once the actor come in, comes in, they want to change it to their liking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, once you bring in a director, they might want to change some things as well, depending on how chaotic things are sometimes. Like if you're writing, like for TV, you can even either write where you write all the episodes at once. They're all in the bank. Like they're all in the can, they're done. And then you go to production or you're writing while you're in production. So mm-hmm. like that could be a whole other thing where like you're writing to the point where you're writing on set. <laughs> so it's like, it's constantly changing and harder to do and anything can happen at that point. But yeah, so it's different ways things can kind of happen, but there are a lot of levels of clearance and like, it's a lot of things you have to get through for television. So a lot of things can change from when I wrote it compared to what actually happened on screen. And then in my example, we also had COVID restrictions. So it's not as if I, I, I could have wrote a, you know, God's eye shot that spanned all of uh, Cowboy Stadium. And then right. they were like, hey, um, 
we're just going to have to shoot them when they walk into the door because yeah, COVID restrictions. So anything can really happen. You just kind of got to go with it. And, you know, I think honestly, production takes precedence. Like you just have to, whatever they can do in production, you have to go with and hope that it's as close to the page as possible. So it's one of those things of ultimately what's going to get this out. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and also I'm a big advocate of like shooting as much as you can and throwing it to the editor. Cause I feel as though editors save a lot mm-hmm. and they don't really get the credit they deserve of the things they kind of like the things we see is all edited and we're just up there thinking like, Oh, look how great, uh, what the Russo brothers are with these yeah. wonderful Marvel films. And it's like, no, that's like six, seven, eight, nine editors that are coming in and giving us this greatness. And we're not necessarily like, of course, that's their vision. They came up with this, they wrote things and um, it was a b- very big collaborative effort, but yeah, yeah, just give the editor as much as you can. And hopefully a good one will find you something great from that. So, yeah. It, it remind that reminds me of uh, this joke from Patton Oswalt about like how if men are all these directors, then women are the uh, uh, are the 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 editors or what have you. It's like <laughs> they're taking your bullshit and somehow making it into something that's actually enjoyable. Exactly. Like, wow. <laughs> Describe what it was like um, growing up in Baltimore and your take on how Baltimore is represented in TV and movies. Uh, growing up in Baltimore was great. I had a I grew up with a single mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a very involved single mom. So she was the type to always be at my elementary school, joining all the parent teacher stuff, joining. I went to this school uh, called Mount Royal in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time they had men of Mount Royal and women of Mount Royal. And these were supposed to be like groups that helped, you know, fundraise and set up different activities for us and so on and so forth. And apparently the women weren't really doing as much. So my mom joined the men of Mount Royal and, you know, helped them do events and did all these different things. So <clears throat> she was like a constant person in my life. Uh, so because of that, like she always let friends come over, sleepovers, all that type stuff. So I had a different Baltimore experience than a lot of my friends now that we're older that we talk about. I'm like, oh, I was mostly in the house playing video games, like doing extracurricular activities. Like you guys were coming over and they're like, yeah, I went to bed hungry some nights. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's not my experience. But Uh also now that I'm older, my mom will tell me like, oh, I went to bed hungry, but you didn't. So, you know, that's the sacrifice you make as a parent and so on and so forth. So yeah, my experience in Baltimore was just like, Growing up anyway, it was just a lot of family around, a lot of friends, a lot of wrestling events because we were super into the WWE Attitude Era. We okay. all thought we were the rock. Um, uh, so, yeah, so. <laughs> there, are so. Some, there are some tapes at City of an alias that I earned because I <laughs> walked around with the sideburns, the whole thing. And it was like this fake ass <laughs> rock kept calling me the frock. And I was like, y'all can all kiss my ass. <laughs> were you actually wearing frocks as well? Uh, no, but I spoke in the third person all the time. Okay, so you were very problematic. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I, I, I was a heel. It was just like, you know, was, and I'm, I'm still in the wrestling, but I was definitely a heel then. And I used to walk around because audio was always going to be my thing. I, I had the um, the personal recorder and this is the degree of healness I was on. This is me on like demon time heavy. I would go to people. It's like, yeah, you're probably not going to be here next semester. So I should probably get an interview with you real quick. That was the spice I was on. Wow. You never got stabbed or, you know, <laughs> no, no. smacked I, I, around or nothing. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm six, four. No one's doing anything to me. 
I mean, that's not really a thing. Like six four can still go down. <laughs> I mean, I'm six. I'm like six four, like two forty. Like I look like I should have been on the football team. Got actually, that is a question. Why weren't you football, basketball, nothing? I didn't see you on the basketball team. What's I was, going on? I was I was a writer. I was a writer. Uh, What's that mean? I was a writer. I played basketball. I, well, I tried I to play. It's, it wasn't great. <laughs> no, I, I had um, I had uh, I had major knee issues, so it's just what happened. Yeah, got you. Okay. But I did do some some film stuff though. We had some of these um, we had these film classes. So I was like kind of one of those background people. So, audio, film, um, and kind of hanging out with the the music people in the basement. That's kind of what my lane was. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. The band the band ran the basement. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you, wasn't, yes, they did. you wasn't you wasn't beefing with nobody in the band in the basement. That wasn't no, happen. not at all, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so, I remember thinking about City. I remember when Drumline came out and they were all watching it on like a bootleg tape. And I'm thinking, <laughs> is, this, is this? Yeah, it's like, is this movie your mecca? Like, is this your Bible? Like, why are you guys? <laughs> crowded around watching drumline <laughs> yeah man nick cannon ain't holding them sticks right it's like all right no, no no like you're joking but they were dead ass <laughs> no i could tell it's just like yo it was it was wild like the competitiveness of creativity there at city i i was just remarking with someone the other day another person i went to city i was remarking with them the other day uh about how uh i, I this is so nerdy but we had like this um, advanced writing class and we were covering like the classics and we talked about um, Beowulf and Macbeth and all this different stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was this uh, model that was in the class that we were in. And she, she was like really interested in this one dude's song. This is when DJ clue was heavy. Right. So right. the guy went in the basement and they had this whole production suite. So he made a song and it was about like Macbeth. So me, because I was jealous, because I'm not going to lie, I was jealous of shit. I found like, just out of happenstance, I found some equipment. It was this dubbing machine. And I ended up going to my basement, learning how to use it. And I made my own track like that night out of pure like ego being being besmirched. And she didn't know I existed. And I did a song. <laughs> I did a song called Murder Mac. And it was just so I could rhyme out damn spot with something. And for the rest of that year, she kept calling me Murder Mac. And my, of course, the teacher played it during the class. So it was one of the most embarrassing things that happened. So <laughs> me, I would never play sports because I had that reputation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she did notice you after that. So, oh, I got okay. the number off of that. Let's be real. Yeah, a, a, win, a win is a win at that point in high school. I'm just going to be honest. Like it, it was a bit much, but yes. it did work out. So, hey, I mean, that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Um, so, so, so as far as the representation representation of, of Baltimore in uh, movies and in, in, in film uh, I mean well, on TV right. and in film uh, and mm, we don't know if we I don't know if we need to really cover the wire because I think that that's been done but what is your general consensus on that what is your take on it well first of all the wire is a perfect show but yes. beyond that I'm not really sure because I don't think much gets shot in Baltimore anymore. Not much is based in Baltimore. And I'll even say from my own experience, I have like a few scripts that are based in Baltimore. And anytime I have uh, meetings about them, that's the feedback. Like, oh, we don't hear about anything there and the different sides of it and blah, blah, blah. Yet they don't buy them. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, we're not going to hear about much there. Um, but I also think we have a 
one, we have a stigma about the city that's out there from the news, not only just the wire, but just the news period. It's constantly, you don't hear about the city unless it's something negative. So most recently it was uh, the Moderna factory, I think it was, or was it Johnson & Johnson, whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, that was messed up in the city. And then they had all those vaccines that were destroyed and so on and so forth. So you never hear a Baltimore piece on national media that's just positive. It's always a mayor is corrupt. Mm-hmm. It's messed up vaccines. It's the murder rate is up. It's this and that. So I think oh. we we need a better PR campaign, first off. Totally. Uh, if we can if we can figure that out, get back to those John Water day John Waters days where you could, you know, just have hairspray and they're just going around. It's just light racism in the world. And you can, you know, keep <laughs> it moving and unite everyone through dance. You know, why can't we get back to those days? But yeah, I don't know. To be honest, I don't really know what there could be, what could be done to kind of uplift the city and get it to a place where not only is it a better city for people to live in, but also it has a better reputation. So it's 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 a weird thing. I, I think part of the aim for this podcast is that, you know, to to speak modestly or what have you, you know, no one's listening. But I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a piece of it to kind of show that it's actually individuals here. And I think too often to your point, it's the negative stuff, the the fact that the city is over 60 percent black and it's okay. like really easy to point that negative finger here. And then there's this notion of because there's not been a lot of attention or quote unquote opportunities here, that that scarcity thing that the people who do get that attention, they don't do anything with it. You know, they do it for them, for themselves. They don't do anything to really enrich the people that are here. And, you know, I don't have any vested interest in, you know, I I have an interest in Baltimore, but I don't have an interest in things that I feel like aren't really indicative of what goes on here. So like when Charm City Kings came, I had some spice for it. And I was like, oh, why? I was like, I don't know if that accent is accurate. I feel like it's a lot of Philadelphia on this movie. <laughs> and, and, and and that was just my take without watching it. But at the same time, when like Dark City came out, I was like, oh, OK, cool. We, we got that. And everyone's going to have their take. And I was like, whatever criticism that's out there for this kind of documentary, I was like, no, they did that. They made that happen. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it involves different parts of it, this kind of fringe side. And it's not just oh, well, my struggle and drugs and crime. It was just like, yo, this is a slice of what Baltimore is about in this this club scene tapestry and seeing people that I know on there. That that felt real to me more than, yo, I'm going to spin the bin. I was like, Doug, you don't, that's, shut up. You're from Atlanta. <laughs> that's not what, it, what we sound like. And you, you see these different things. Because for me, if something is set in Baltimore, like it was this flick, um, had common in it. So right there. We're already starting <laughs> off. And it was called um, Love Learning Uncle Vincent. And okay. <laughs> Common is a hitman. So right okay. there. And, uh, and I feel like Charles S. Dutton is like his boss or something. This is 2014, I think. And basically, there's a scene in it. This is where my Baltimorean just was like, no, nah, that's not what happens. Like it was some scene where um, uh, Vincent the Common and his uh, nephew were running from Mondaman to uh, Druid Hill Park. And I was like, they've been running for a long, long time. That's not the distance between those two points. And I got caught <laughs> in the minutia of being like from here. And it's like, you don't pass that when you go to Mondaman. And I was like, where the hell are y'all at? <laughs> but I feel like I've talked to different people, especially through this podcast that will talk like, 
where is the weird Baltimore? We have a lot of weird shit here. Where is the, um, I mean, the Ouija board, right? Where, where is, going to your thing, where is some of that John Waters stuff? Who's taking that mantle of, mm-hmm. we, we know that there is a lot of racial nonsense that's happened in Hamden over the decades or what have you. And that still happens in a very kind of uh, covert way and sometimes overt way. But why is it very one note when you do see it? That's the thing that always catches right. my attention. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange thing. Cause like right now is probably the best time ever in human history where you can be independent and make your own stuff, but mm-hmm. still those stories aren't getting out. And so it's a weird, I don't know. It's a weird balance of like, maybe the money's just not going to the right places in the city, mm-hmm. or we're just not finding the right creatives that like we are pushing certain creatives, but just maybe not the right ones to kind of put a better spotlight on the city necessarily, yeah. as you mentioned previously about, you know, some people do come out of Baltimore, but unfortunately they take the bag and keep running. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't, I'm just, it's yeah. Just trying to have a Baltimore story. That's not about drugs. <laughs> that would just be a wonderful thing. I, I want to see, like, I always look for whenever there's some attention, right? Because it's, 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 it can't be on multiple things at once. It's like either we're going to hit on, and we can double things, right? If we can hit on queer and black, we, we, we satisfied you guys, right? If we can hit women and black, we satisfied you guys, right? We, we count both of them as far as what I think Hollywood tries to do sometimes in that placating sort of way. And this is just from my vantage point, it may not be valid at all, but I, I think what happens is, what I look for is when the spotlight is there and it's on a particular area, my thing is, what are you going to do with it? What's the thing that you're going to make? And how are you going to move it forward? Some people have done really cool things. It's like, oh, I'm only going to hire black women for these movies. Dope. That gives the opportunity for people who may not have gotten it in the past, who likely didn't get it in the past. But when you just see someone's like, yeah, I'm just going to put my people on. And it's like, people are just copies of you. It's it's just the same people. And it's like, how can you broaden that and do more with it and be able to service multiple, multiple people? Because it's a lot of people right now getting opportunities here to your to your point of it's right now you can be independent. And I just see a lot of people to your point getting a bag and just taking these wild vacations. And <laughs> I'm in the, I'm in the city, but it's like you live in Miami, though. Like, like what is <laughs> I mean, their their Instagrams are nice, so I will give them that on these vacations. Those are beautiful uh, photos. <laughs> it's popping, and I am here <laughs> in East Baltimore, Collington, baby. Let's go! I'm in East. <laughs> uh, so, so who are two writers who've inspired you, and, and and why? Like, who are like people you're like? You know what? You you write good stuff. Uh, inspired, I would say. High on my list is Aaron Sorkin. Hmm. Uh, I just think he writes. He writes a lot of dialogue, which I enjoy. And he writes in a way that I think characters speaking that fast Mm -hmm. about almost nothing and then interweaving in the exposition that's needed just lets you learn so much about the actual character without them doing anything. And I think that's a mess. It's a mastery to that, to where I'll use the uh, social network as an example where he just has 
Like Jesse Eisenberg did absolutely nothing in that movie physically. He just, he maybe ran twice. And for the most part, he sat down. And yet you felt that Mark Zuckerberg was not only a genius, he was an asshole, a piece of shit. He stole from people. And yet he gave us one of the best inventions that the world has ever (laughs) come upon. And you felt all that. And he's, he wasn't domineering. He's not a big guy. You never thought he was being threatened by these huge twins that could have just beat his ass. You always felt like Zuckerberg's going to be good because he's going to talk his way out of it from these great words that Aaron Sorkin's going to give him. So I just think he's a great writer. Apparently he was on drugs for most of his greatest writing, but I won't be able to match that since I don't do drugs, but that's sadly, I guess I'll have to figure that out at some point in my life. But yeah, I think he's a great writer. And even on page on the page, he's amazing. It's just how he weaves things in his callbacks. So he's a callback master as well to just go back to things that even within the conversation, like you think they are moved on to the next thing and you know he brings that back. So he's, He's an amazing writer, and I'm also huh, two of them. Let me think. I'm a J.J. Abrams apologist. <laughs> you know, he's never made a bad movie. We don't talk about uh, the second uh, Star Trek film, but he's never made a bad film ever in his life. <laughs> we also don't talk about the third or the ninth, I guess, Star Trek film. Um, oh, no, sorry, Star Wars. Star yeah, Wars yeah. film. We don't talk about the ninth Star Wars film either, but he's never made a bad movie or TV show. Yeah. Um, we won't mention the third season of Felicity. Anyway, all I'm wow. saying is J.J. Abrams is greatness. And that's also my guy. But writers themselves, like definitely Aaron Sorkin is high up on my list. I like what um, Misha Green is doing right now mm-hmm. with all her stuff over. Well, I'll see how she does with this Laura Croft thing, because that seems. Mm-hmm. That seems like a very difficult project to crack. I don't, I mean, I'm happy she's getting this money and she deserves it. And she's been doing great things ever since. I think she was on Heroes first was the first thing she kind of did. But yeah, that, that seems like a hard thing to crack, but her work on uh, Underground and also Lovecraft Country, I thought was very interesting. Like neither of those were my favorite shows, but they had some interesting takes that I don't think we've seen thus far. So I think that's a very great thing. If a writer can kind of push a take that we haven't seen in something that's normally very mundane. Um, So she's very good with that as well. Uh, Some other writers said, Hmm, well, it's sad that she's like 36 and I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I'm not far from her age. And I'm like, no, I look up to her. <laughs> um, uh, like Aziz Ansari and uh, uh, I forgot what's the guy's name, Alan. I think his name is Alan Young. But what they mm-hmm. do on um, Master, of Master of None is amazing. And I think Alan was also on Parks and Rec for a while. So their work on that was like Parks and Rec is one of my favorite shows. So that was also an amazing uh, ride to do that as well. So those are like the writers that I kind of look to and read their stuff. Yeah. Um, if they have any material that's going around in the industry, I'm usually like, Hey, let me try to get a copy of that. Even if it doesn't sell or whatever it is, cause usually it's going to be a good read at least. Um, yeah. so those are the main people. And then also I love like a Tarantino script is always fun because he puts a whole bunch of shit in it that never makes the screen. Right. Uh, same thing with Michael Mann. Michael Mann does that as well. He has, Michael Mann has character descriptions that are about eight lines, 
And it has nothing to do with what, what you see on the screen. It's like, he's a gruff ex-con that killed <laughs> two people in jail and they only put him in the hole for one month. And Like all this shit. Like if, if you ever get a chance, look up the screenplay for Heat. Okay. And just the character descriptions alone, you'll be like, what the fuck does this have to do with the movie? But yeah, you're, you know the exact person he's talking about. And you're like, okay, well, this I'm here for this now. Uh, so yeah, so interesting stuff like that, just to see how it is on the page compared yeah. to what happens on screen is always great as well. So usually very long-winded, but those are the people that I'm uh, checking out at the moment. I mean, the thank you for one. And two, if you ever want to do a, a rewatch and, of uh, Lovecraft Country, I would love to do that with you because I think we have very similar sensibilities and <laughs> yeah, because I, I have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> so I got two more real quick. And um, so let's see. Um, I think one is going to be longer than the other one. So I'm going to leave with this one. Uh, what is that that top tier, most sage piece of advice you would give and share with aspiring screenwriters? Uh, to write at least five days a week, treat it, treat it like a job. Like even if you're working full time, then treat it like a part-time job. So at least write, you know, 20 hours a week, uh, at minimum, like you want to keep that muscle going. Um, every, everything you write is practice and make sure that you show people like, don't hide it. Don't put it in a drawer, whatever the case is. Writing is definitely rewriting. So make sure that you're sending that. Like if you don't have friends that you can send it to and get good feedback, uh, even though these things are scams, I will say a lot of the coverage websites are, but try to look for a coverage website that can give you actually insight on what's going good with your screenplay, what's going bad. Um, definitely apply to as many um, screenwriting festivals as possible if you have the money to do that. Um, a lot of the free ones are the best ones because they're usually connected to a studio. So like ABC has one, CBS has one. Uh, Imagine Impact, which is uh, Ron Howard and uh, uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Brian uh, Glazer, Grazer whatever it is, but imagine impact is great as well. Uh, so it's all these different ones that you could do that Sundance has one. So just like keep rewriting, uh, write, write what you want to see is a big thing as well. Uh, definitely write what you want to see. And that would be the main things. Um, I wouldn't worry about right away getting representation. Like that's a big thing when you come in, like, Oh, get a manager, go get a agent, blah, blah, blah. Like just worry about writing what you want to see, try to write something that, you haven't necessarily seen before, like have a fresh take. Like if you want to write the office, have a fresh take on the office. Maybe it's the office and the Illuminati. Maybe it's the office and space. Maybe it's the, whatever it is, just make sure that it's a fresh take. If you want to do these workplace comedies, or if you want to do a horror film, like just make sure you always have a fresh take on things and you'll definitely break through. Cause most people stop writing. Most people don't write every day. Most people don't write the, whatever, 20 hours a week. Most people don't take it as a job. Most quit. It's like you're, if you just keep pushing and keep going after that, take it seriously, take in notes. Like don't just think your work is sacrosanct because it's not um, like take those notes very seriously. Don't give your work to someone and you're not going to take their note because what was the point of that? Like, right. Don't give your work to somebody and then say, well, you don't watch much TV anyway. Well, why would you do that? That's you just wasted your time and your energy and that moment to give that thing to that person. So, you know, and you wasted their time too. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, 
probably the biggest part is you wasted their time because they actually sat down and read it. Like someone, so I will say people, my friends that have read my stuff, friends and family members, like I appreciate them the most because it's like they're taking their time out to read first drafts of my bullshit that's going to be terrible because <laughs> it's the first draft. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's always important. But the main thing is to keep writing and make sure that whatever you're writing, you enjoy first off and then make sure that you specialize it from there and kind of get down to making it a great sp- uh, screenplay as well. So, yeah, that's um, and, and, and that's great. That's like masterclass level advice right there, because um, it reminds me of the uh, beginning of that Walter Mosley uh, masterclass. And he was just talking about this, how you, how he his part of his process or what have you of he's like, I'm going to write X amount of words a day. And then he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to re- read those words. I'm going to parse out what I don't think it works. And it's like writing and rewriting, but it's a constant thing. And I writing to me, it always feels like this is once you hit, it's great, but it's like, what's the next thing? And it just feels like, yo, this is a marathon mm-hmm. and some people don't have the stamina for it. And I think being able to identify that is, is a big thing, too, because to your point, you're telling someone like, look, you know, 20 hours, put it in. No, no, I think it'd be like 10. Well, I guess you don't want to write. or whatever it it is it is that way because there is going to be like the thing is like hollywood is very like it's a lot of nepotism Mm -hmm. and it's a lot about networking and thus if you're not in a position where you don't have the network and you already don't have the family that's already in the business (laughs) you have to outwork everybody and then even once you get in you still have to outwork everybody (laughs) and you constantly have it's like nonstop of, Hey, once you actually get a network that can kind of sustain you and you have people that are more successful than you and some that aren't, that you're helping to pull up, hopefully if you're not an asshole, um, then your network is strong and maybe you can relax on the everyday thing, but until then, Hey, you got to be on this. Yeah. I, I feel like it's the beginning of like fame or what have you. I think it's Debbie Allen's like, well, you're going to work. It, I feel like <laughs> it's, that, it's that, but maybe for a typewriter or word processor or something. Um, so last question I have, um, this, this is for you. This is for you. Describe that MMT, that, that dream project for old MMT. Describe that dream project. What's your dream project look like? Oh, Kill Bill Volume 3. My man. Yes. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't even need further explanation. It's no, like... kill. I mean, I will, I will shoot some bail to another one. So kill bill is my top one easily. Like having okay. Uma come back, um, having Vivica Fox's daughter go after Uma, having Whoopi Goldberg be a grandmother that teaches her how to fight. You know, can you cast, can you listen, cast a six I foot four uh, podcaster? Oh that, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Oh, listen, you can definitely come through and that's, <laughs> Had no problem with that if that's going to be a thing. <laughs> um, but another top one on my list is Street Fighter. Like if I could write a Street Fighter movie Yo. or TV show, it would be um, that would be high on my list. How how am I just lear- learning about you existing? Because I did a Street Fighter <laughs> review and we just talked about how Van Damme was coked out during the entire movie. And well, not only him, but also Ken and Ryu were partying every night. <laughs> Um, my girl Cammy was showing up to set late and not giving a fuck. Like, Getting a wild, yeah, it was a ter- yeah, it was a terrible set apparently. So yeah. Getting the wild Van Damme splits. Yeah, like, like listen, like, it was yo. apparently. Well, who was that? That was Kylie Minogue, right? Like yes, she was it, a super pop star. Like, nah, I show up when I show up. 
and she had to get cast in the movie. They knew she knew they couldn't get rid of her because they were filming partially, I think, in Australia and contingent upon them getting some of these rebates. They had to cast an Australian. Also, she's Kylie Min- Like, who, who's going to say anything to her at that time? <laughs> like, no, not at all. I mean, if you don't know how big Kylie was, I mean, she was... I mean, I guess she was like Ariana Grande for them. Like, she was yeah. the shit at that time. And to always look at meanwhile, Raul Julia is over there dying. It's like, you, you My man is dying. He's dying, giving the best, hammiest performance of his life. It's and y'all showing up... Listen, y'all showing up coked out drunk high <laughs> what was the quote from bad damn my muscles aren't as big as they were i'm, I'm not gonna be able to make it to set today shut up man <laughs> like if you don't do some squats and get... <laughs> no if you don't do your splits and get your ass on set yeah no that that movie is very tragic and it's also said that it seems like capcom is just over that shit like it's the same yeah. with um uh, uh why am i blanking on their name right now nintendo like i wish they mm-hmm. would do a mario movie um yeah, like a live happen. action yeah. one that was not the one that we had you know let's let's get let's oh, get a good about... mario movie let's get a star fox movie let's get a zelda like we got you're talking some... about 1993 right now <laughs> yeah i don't know what they was doing to my man john with uh, liquizamo but uh they needed they need to fix that <laughs> bob hoskins worked but john liquizamo did not and uh nothing in that movie worked sorry <laughs> no i mean as far as like the the aesthetic like when i'm looking at mario oh, he looked luigi, like mario yes, yeah i'm yeah. looking for mustaches <laughs> and i didn't see one on luigi i was like why is luigi puerto rican what's what's happening here <laughs> and also really didn't know plumbing that much like to be no. honest <laughs> and didn't dennis hopper have corn rolls i, I digress i digress so, <laughs> <laughs> um so thank you for everything um well, thank but, you Here's the opportunity. Um, shameless plugs. Um, tell people where to check your stuff out. Um, social media, all of that good stuff. Uh, so definitely go on Hulu and watch a movie called Low Life. You'll see the poster is a luchador in a mask. So you'll definitely know that it's the correct film. It's a very messed up film. So it's gory. It's horror. Um, in some sense, it's mostly dark, dark comedy, but it's some horror elements to it. So, but check it out if you're up to things like that. And then also, uh, I believe it's July 15th, watch Dr. Death on Peacock. I think it's, I want to say it's the first three episodes and then weekly, but it might be all eight. Like I'm not really sure anymore. So either way, go ahead and watch all those episodes. I wrote episode six. We'll co-wrote it, uh, with my, uh, writing partner for that episode was uh, Sarah Pearson, who is an amazing writer as well. She's also going to be on another Hulu project called um, Girl from Plainville, which is based off a true story as well. So check that out whenever it comes out. I don't know when that goes into production or whatever, but yeah, so that's mostly it. I'm I'm off social media right now because I need to write. So there's nowhere to follow me, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but definitely check out those projects. They'll hopefully you'll enjoy them and keep watching them. So, yeah. Um, so there you have it, folks. Um, for the um, talented, super talented, um, you're 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 blurred. You're, I, I welcome you to the tribe. I didn't know you, but I feel like we do the handshake and the nod. But thanks again for coming on to the podcast. This has been a treat for me. This is a good way to do my Friday. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on. So for Maxwell Towson, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs> <laughs>